Is this the right one for an argument? I've told you once. <laughs> no, you haven't. Yes, I have. When? Just now. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. Didn't. I did. <laughs> didn't. I'm telling you I did. You did not. Oh, I'm sorry, is this a five-minute argument or the full half hour? <laughs> Campus of LCMSU, everyone. Who are you? I am the Chancellor. Yeah, baby. Master <laughs> Marcus Zill. another installment of Change My Mind. For those unfamiliar, this is a segment where I go on the street, we take one given topic, and I just listen to people. Let them change my mind, we rationalize our positions, and it's usually really productive. We attempt to have a civil dialogue. Sometimes people end up changing their own minds. Once again, deep in the heart of Texas, Dr. James Talman, PhD in rhetoric and ethics from the University of Washington, served as a prof and debate coach at Patrick Henry College in Virginia, very, very involved in classical education circles on the board of directors of the Consortium of Classical Lutheran Education and has a new book out. I have known you, Jim, going back to your days in Dickinson, North Dakota and Brookings, South Dakota, and all, and even in Wyoming. It's, it's great to have you here in the student union today yeah it's nice to have a chance to catch up again marcus i appreciate you having me on what all are you doing down there in texas yeah semi-retired i uh i came down here to be with grandchildren my wife is working for our daughter who's a dentist and i'm teaching part-time online for wittenberg academy and uh, at Texas State University as well. Now, I know as we're recording this, uh, you know, it's been kind of a rough couple of weeks in the area with all these bombings. Is everybody a little skittish down there? Well, people are concerned, of course. It's very weird, but then Austin is a weird place. And uh, there's somebody running around that's uh, full of hate and doing things that people that are full of hate do. Anyways, it's great to have you with us, so we certainly keep everybody down in our prayers, and we hope we uh, catch the evildoer and the perpetrators so that uh, he can be kind of put away and uh, things yes. can get back to normal. But I just had the chance a couple of weeks ago to be down there for the uh, for the uh, dedication of the new facilities at uh, the University Lutheran Church in Austin. So um, rarely do I go back to Austin or some any place two weeks in a row, so... Uh, Anyways, but it's great. It's great to have you. Um, I've always appreciated your um, your love for the young people, of the church. Um, not only serving as a headmaster at various schools and your interest in, in in classical Lutheran education, but also everywhere you've been, you've always been involved with uh, helping to encourage the development of youth groups and um, and even uh, support of campus ministry. So uh, yeah, thank you. We've we've um, had a long run, and I hope that we have more opportunities to work together in campus ministry. Um, when I brought my daughter and son-in-law with uh, uh -huh. Pastor Towns to Laramie to the Dying to Live conference before there was a Higher Things, yeah, and um, we've been to several Higher Things conferences and campus 
uh, Christ on campus, and now we're pretty involved in LCMSU. Well, and so, I thank you for that, and you have always big been... Big fans. You've always been a real trooper and a real common spirit. In fact, I helped put on one of the CCLE um, classical education conferences in conjunction with a campus ministry conference once. That's uh, right. In Laramie. That's right. And uh, so always been something dear to my heart. Never had really the chance. I was a public middle school teacher um, way back in the day. But uh, classical Lutheran education has always been real close to my heart and the, the, the tie-ins to uh, to one of your loves, uh, the, the field of rhetoric and the discipline of rhetoric has, has so many tie-ins naturally to those of us in campus ministry, but rhetoric gets kind of a bad rap. It's, it's usually kind of viewed as a, as a pejorative. What kind of, a, what kind of a reputation does it have the, the idea of, of rhetoric and mere rhetoric and, it's almost yeah, rhetoric is the kind of junk politicians say to get elected. It's bombast. It's uh, you know, it's associated with uh, making the worst case appear the better. Okay. <clears throat> and I think a lot of that reputation is well deserved. Some of it is guilt by association. Uh, okay. But the problem is in academia the the traditional approach to rhetoric that is taken in a traditional liberal arts education uh, is has really been out of vogue for a couple generations now since probably the 1980s hmm. and um, people are more interested in deconstructionism and feminism and Marxism and relativism and so a lot of rhetorical studies focus on those sorts of things and it's become really irrelevant. It's like a byword. People are just not that interested in it anymore, which is sad because we need it desperately on campus in America today. Well, you know, and when you think about it, I mean, one of the things that I, uh, I am constantly amazed at you know, the older I get is how much words and their usage actually matter. And it seems like, uh, you know, our critical thinking skills are being diminished, and if we can't think critically, we can't reason well. If we can't reason well, we can't, we can't dialogue well. And it almost seems like, uh, like the downward trend in terms of our, our even understanding of uh, public discourse is just, it's almost a, it's almost a fait accompli that's going to go in the wrong direction, and we're going to see more of this, this uh, poor use of rhetoric and kind of propaganda and agitation. Yeah, yeah. Um, agitprop is very popular nowadays. It's getting so ridiculously radicalized uh, campus discourse. And, you know, that's not surprising because for a couple generations running now, uh, people have discounted the idea of truth. They've celebrated relativism and subjectivism. And, uh, you know, it's kind of an anything goes. And so there's not a lot of ground left for reason discourse and discussing ideas with people in an air of mutual respect. It's just, uh, like you said, agitation and uh, shouting people down and, you know, a lot of overreaction to like safe spaces and the, the whole thing with, um, Oh, what's the word they call it? Snowflake. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Ugh. Well, you know, it's 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 kind of like like Jim that uh, um, if you don't know how to think, you don't know how to talk, you don't know how to reason. All you can do is get frustrated and, 
and say, well, well, screw you. Yeah. <laughs> it seems like yeah. that. That's oh, where... oh, 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 oh. <laughs> but yeah, what... I get offended. Yeah, so I, but in a classical sense. Okay, so let's we can lament all day long that yeah, the rhetoric yeah. isn't what we wish it was. Well, what do we wish it was, and what what was it, and what ideally should it be? Rhetoric. Um, the I'll t- let me tell you this. I'll preface my answer by saying that the more I taught seventh and eighth graders in a classical Lutheran school that I was working in in Wyoming, sure. The more I Christianized and actually Lutheranized my approach to rhetoric, hmm. and it started with the the writings of Richard M. Weaver. Uh, he's the guy that wrote "Ideas Have Consequences," and hmm. uh, you know he's kind of a staple of the American philosophical right. And he has a book called "The Ethics of Rhetoric," and he has one called "The uh, Language is Sermonic." They're all really good treatises. I have. A lot of them uh, kind of excerpted on the rhetoricring.com. That's my website. Okay. And at any rate, following that train of thought about rhetoric being kind of a central, cohesive force in holding community together, and then eventually understanding rhetoric as speaking the truth and love to my neighbor for his improvement as a human being. Sure. When you start understanding that in terms of vocation and the two kingdoms and a lot of fundamental Lutheran doctrine, then uh, a Lutheranized understanding of rhetoric is very powerful in terms of uh, love of neighbor. Okay. Because if you don't love your neighbor, why would you want to even bother trying to talk or dialogue with them, right? Why would you want to try to persuade them when you could just coerce them? Right. Or force them into doing, you know, impose your will upon them. Fascinating. So now you mentioned uh, the rhetoric rhetoric ring. Well, um, I I wrote the rhetoric ring from a grant that I received one summer uh, for teaching with technology. But it's also the first summer I had been exposed to the Consortium for Classical Lutheran Education, and a lot of people were uh, starting to get curious about rhetoric because it was understood traditionally as a cornerstone of traditional liberal arts education. But it's kind of uh, intimidating because it's, there are a lot of Greek terms involved and concepts and so forth and Latin. And so I put the rhetoric ring together with those people in mind who were trying to teach and homeschool in the classical Lutheran vein but were intimidated by rhetoric and dialectic, which is a companion art of rhetoric. So it's mainly a lot of helps for educators to understand and to demystify it so that it it makes more sense to people. And then I have a little shrine to Richard Weaver there. I've got Richard Weaver's top ten, and I have some Monty Python sketches that are linked there. So, yes, yeah. (laughs) Do, do a little Monty Python for me. Do something. I, I love, you, you're, I'd you're like, like to have an argument, please. <laughs> Come on, you're supposed to respond. You have to be the secretary. <laughs> I oh, don't, would I you don't like... know that's, that's the skit where they walk into the office and, and you, you... The see, argument clinic. Yeah, the argument clinic. That's classic. Yeah, I use that in... It's fantastic. So, and my is... students look at me with bewildered looks and say, 
You're a loony. <laughs> they actually are probably, I mean, is there a place for humor in the use of rhetoric or is it, you know? Oh, no, 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 no. no. It's very, very serious. We must always be serious <laughs> about our causes. No, I mean, that's one of the things I like to uh, um, clue people in on is that I'm, I'm teaching at Texas State right now and I work my, I work my rhetorical background into my uh, human communication class. It's a basic course I'm teaching. Sure. And, um, but we're doing public speaking and stuff and I, you know, they're supposed to be informative and stuff. And then there's a persuasive speech and I'm like, don't just be an activist. People don't like listening to people that take themselves too seriously all sure. the time. A little levity goes a long way sure. and self-deprecating humor is a good thing that that's counter to a lot of the indoctrination that people get these days. You know, when we, when we see, uh, the state of things on campus and you've been around college campuses long enough and we've alluded to this already, you know, I've been really fascinated by the, the, if anybody is familiar with the Steven Crowder videos that he's been mm -hmm. making called change my mind, where he shows up on campus, plops down a little table with a sign and he's, he's doing this in a secular perspective something like uh, i believe there's only two genders there's only two genders and then there's a big sign change my mind and he has yeah, he likes to stir the pot yeah he he but but actually when you watch these things he he sits down has a microphone invites people to sit down and and change his mind in a non aggressive way he's very persuasive he's very engaging he's very thoughtful wanting to listen to the other side. I mean, is there a lot that seems to me that that we almost need to, to, to do these types of things on campus ourselves, perhaps from a, a Lutheran perspective, but also even a more basic perspective from that, just to just to help retrain people how to think and discuss things. Yeah, we should we should have workshops as part of our retreats where we teach our Lutheran kids how to listen uh, critically, but also with empathy sure. and to, uh, make the case with love and with mutual respect and to engage in true rhetoric without getting, um, you know, argumentative and hypercritical and then go out in terms of outreach and, and do what Crowder's doing. Yeah, and, and there are many, many people that, that there are others in campus ministry that are doing these types of things. But just, you know, it takes time. It takes effort. It, you know, more than anything, it takes time because you really have to, uh, you know, you have to be on campus. You have to be in the in the academic square. You have to be right there in the middle of the, you know, I always tell people that yeah. college campuses are incubators of ideas, uh, good, yeah. bad, and ugly. And I'm kind of frankly tired of the idea that we don't have a place there. Yeah, and you know we do, we are getting shunted aside, and there are people that are of the opinion nowadays that you know we do not have to listen to you because you think hate thoughts and you speak in hate speech patterns, and so I'm not obligated to talk to you anymore. But um, you know you just you have to talk with the people that you can talk with, and I, Marcus, I have a little pet peeve that I would like to just address very briefly pet, if i may pet peeve away okay let me peeve on you here the here's the thing excuse me let me stand back a little bit <laughs> <laughs> you're probably out of cut that <laughs> um yeah poor choice of words but um bad rhetoric dude yeah 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 so uh anyway um as far as apologetics go I 
think that it's done incorrectly in some ways, insofar as the spirit often behind it is, I have to show you why I'm right and you're wrong. And it's um, almost like intellectual aggression and it's oftentimes not done in love. It's more uh, showy and arrogant. I think people need to be careful how they do apologetics and in an air of mutual respect and actually listening to people instead of thinking how you can phrase your your next retort. No, I think you're true. I mean, this isn't about, you know, you don't engage people for the sake of, ah, ha, ha, I won that debate. Yeah. You know, this isn't about about one-upping other people. It's about actually hoping to... To change, to change their mind, to persuade. To win hearts and minds. Right. When you state it in terms of winning hearts and minds, that makes a lot of room for rhetorical dialogue. Sure. Because that's what sets rhetoric apart from logic. People who are concerned at all times with logic can be very stale like Spock. Okay. You know, and, and they're interested in being right and, and formulating their argumentation such that they articulate the correct viewpoint, but what about the person, you know, and is there love there for the other? And, and so that's what rhetoric actually, the difference between rhetoric and pure dialectic, as Richard Weaver would put it, is that rhetoric brings to it the actual human condition and tries to appeal to a person's emotions in a proper fashion so that they are moved toward the good hmm. and the true and the beautiful. Uh, I mean, that strikes me very uh, very much along the lines of uh, not only speaking the truth in love, but also loving God by loving your neighbor. And uh, Yeah, so you can see why I drifted toward a Lutheranized kind of understanding. It's very easy to teach all of this ethical dimension of rhetoric and dialectic from... Uh, the perspective of Lutheran theology. When you think about uh, things biblically, Jesus or his apostles, the apostles used used the use of rhetoric. I mean, they they were obviously pretty good at this themselves, right? Well, first of all, Saint Ambrose said it was not God's plan to use logic to save His people. Right. Jesus spoke in parables, and somehow God deigned that. His truth, Jesus came to show us the Father and to teach us about his kingdom, but he didn't teach it in a logical fashion. Hmm. In fact, his disciples had to ask him for clarification more than once. So, but isn't um, that why you a, would use parables to begin with, is to kind of start with not trying to start off with this flourish of what you know, because who would know more than, than God, but to start with what yeah. a person knows that you're trying to, whose hearts you're trying to win? Well, and I think it also has to do with having ears to hear and eyes to see spiritual truths. Spiritual truths are not conveyed rationally all the time. And yet we're totally immersed in rationalistic uh, thought processes. Hmm. People like us that haven't abandoned reason. Sure. Right. So uh, there are lots of examples uh, in First John... Uh, there are there's uh, a real interesting parallel structure. There are all kinds of rhetorical devices you can find in Galatians when it 
contrast the fruits of the spirit with the works of the flesh. Okay. That's all done. If you look at that as it would be constructed, not for two columns and the most column inches per page that you can get. So it's uh, efficient for printing purposes. But if you looked at that passage as it would be written out in its poetic and rhetorical structure, it's really interesting the parallelisms that happen there. And so the meaning, if you're educated, this is what I wanted to mention during our interview in terms of the faith. If you're educated in rhetorical structures and dialectical reasoning processes, it enhances so much your grasp of scripture and the catechism is written with both rhetorical and dialectical structures. And uh, much of our confessions are written out in dialectical fashion. That's what the thesis and antithesis is all about. Well, that is excellent. We, Sounds to me like we have all the tools that we ultimately need, just a little bit of fine-tuning in terms of how to how to utilize them. Yeah, know. we have to rediscover them yes. to a large extent. So speaking of rediscovering them, uh, you just wrote, wrote a, a book recently. Uh, tell us about your book of Rhetoric and Redemption in La Rioja. Yeah, La Rioja is the place in Spain where Quintilian grew up. Quintilian was a famous rhetorician and he was uh he wrote a 12 volume work called the institutes of oratory that's about educating the perfect orator from the cradle up and by perfect orator he meant a person who would be a leader in the polis who would be um in the city state rather that he would be a good man who is articulate and wise and exercises good judgment on behalf of the people. And so he was a big deal in both education and rhetorical studies. <coughs> Pardon me. That's okay. I know you're not feeling and, the greatest today, but we appreciate you being yeah. a trooper. Well, thank you. Um, and so I found out that Quintilian was contemporary of Paul's. And I thought, wouldn't it be cool if Paul actually went to um, Spain like he intended to do, according to the book of Acts, but it never records that he went there. Church history never records that he actually went. Doesn't mean he didn't. But there are are statues in various places uh, commemorating his visit to Spain. Hmm. Now, the question is whether or not those were put up by entrepreneurs who were trying to increase tourism or if he actually did visit those places. But anyway, it's possible that Paul did go to Spain. So I thought, what would happen? They were both, Paul was a Hellene, which means he was educated in the traditional liberal arts, Greco Roman mm-hmm. learning, and Quintilian was a master of that. What would they talk about if they were to meet? So I have Paul getting through the good work of Zenos the lawyer, who's mentioned in the book of Acts. Okay. He uh, he receives a 30-day leave of absence and takes a who's who of evangelists and does a blitz of Hispania, and um, he meets Quintilian. They go to his family's plantation, and they talk about rhetoric. They talk about ethics. They talk about the gospel, and the whole book, the, the historical novel that I wrote, is sandwiched between some crises that are historically uh, fact that Quintilian 
as an old man, lost his bride and his son in childbirth, and then five years later lost a second son. So Paul's or Quintilian's, uh, it, the book starts with Quintilian as an old man recollecting his time with Paul, and then it concludes with him as an old man uh, in crisis and how the words of Paul came back to give him comfort. Wow. Well, that sounds fascinating. I'm going to have to get a copy of that. Uh, I suppose people can get it at Amazon or wherever. Yeah, it's it's available on Amazon. It's available in uh, Kindle. And um, it's called Of Rhetoric and Redemption in La Rioja. And, I, will, uh, I will make sure that I put that in the archives so that it's listed so people can get a link to how they can go find that, too. Thank you. It's written for college kids that are interested in liberal arts education and high schoolers, too. Sure. Awesome. Well, we'll have to check that out. And we're, we're out of time. We're going to have to have you back sometime down the road and talk a little bit more about some of this. Hey, man, I hope my voice will be better at that, <laughs> that time. But um, we need to do a little bit more Monty Python. We'll have to brush up on that. And <laughs> there you go. We well, used to just swap lines all the time over a cigar. No, I, I know I will have to, we'll have to do a little bit more uh, communication in advance, but, but uh, Jim, thank you for what you do. Thank you for your love of rhetoric and your interest in, uh, in the young people, of the church and how we can maybe most effectively talk to our neighbors on campus. We'll look forward to talking to you again down the line. Thank you, friend. I look forward to it. Thank you. Well, that's all we have time for here today in the Student Union. Check out rhetoricring.com and lcmsu.org. And remember, college is tough. You need Jesus, we'll help.